0: Good evening. It's good to be here with you this, this evening. Thankful for the opportunity that I have to share a portion of God's Word. I'd like to thank Mitch, too, for the prayer on my behalf. It's my prayer that, uh, just like he said, everyone young and old will have something to benefit from, from the things I have to say this evening. And it uh, really pertains to, to all of us. And it's about the church, I'm going to talk. I want to talk about having a love for the church this evening. You know, uh, I, when I started this uh, this lesson, I soon realized how how deep we could go on a lesson like this. Luckily, there've been a lot of good lessons before me that uh, that kind of fall under the same umbrella. Uh, Jared gave us a lesson about uh, about a week and a half ago about worship and how our worship. Is not just what we do in this building, but it's really who we are on a daily, daily basis. We can worship God wherever we're at. Um, not that what we do here is, is, is not important, it truly is. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the church, what the church is, and, and uh, how it functions, and, and why, we should, why we should have a love for the church. I'm going to ask you tonight, or pose the question, why do you come to church? What are our reasons for being here? And we've got a list here. It's not at all extensive or exhaustive. There's plenty of other things that we could think of. There's, there, there might be good reasons. There might be bad. Do we like the social aspect of it? Do we like that our friends and family are, are here and we can socialize with them? You know, me and Haley, we used to always talk about anytime the weather was bad or maybe it was a, a really uh, windy spring day in West Texas or the dirt was blowing, we think, man... And we would say, man, we wish we we could live anywhere else but here, you know. And it would finally come, we would finally conclude, well, you know, our family's not here. The church isn't here. Those things are important. They're a good reason to come to the church. What about a do we come here for a construct or maybe traditions that we like? Do we come here for the worship? Do we come here to be edified or even gratified to be entertained? You know, some of these uh Are good, some of these are bad, some of these are kind of a gray area, I suppose. We all have, the point is, is we all have maybe different reasons or could think of different reasons as to why we're here. But I'm here to talk about why it's so much bigger than these things or any other reason really that we could think of. It's bigger than that because of what the church is and what the church stands for. So, what is the church? You know, we throw that term around rather loosely. And when I was preparing the study, I, I looked online and tried to figure out how many churches there are in the town of Plainview alone. And I think there's, there's 50 plus, maybe even 60. And we we, lose, we use that term loosely, like I said, there's there's 50 churches in Plainview. But let's look at Acts 2, because it's one of the most known scriptures when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the establishment of the church, I want to look at what we find here in Acts 2, and we'll start in verse 37. And by the way, we are going to have some out of the King James and some out of the New King James. Starting in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked at their heart, and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you that your children, uh, and to your children that are, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord, our God, shall call. And with other, and, and with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, "Save yourselves from the untoward toward generation." Then they gladly received his word and were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in uh, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all believed and were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And what does it say at the end? And the the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. So Acts 2 is when the church was established. And what does it say? How were these people added to the church? They were baptized into Christ. So the church is the redeemed. I heard Ian Jones one time say that it's a collection of the saints, or it's a collection of the saved. So we see that it's not just—it's a a social group. It's not a place where we come to see our family or to to be entertained. It's not just a building or just one single congregation of people. This passage shows us what the church looks like also. Let's break it down and see all of the different aspects of the church and what what did the first century church look like it said they continued steadfast in doctrine and in fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers fear and it said fear came upon every soul they had a reverence for God they had all things in common so they strived for unity right they sold their goods and gave uh, to every man that had need so there was benevolence they were daily in the temple with one accord. So there's unity and commitment we can see there. Breaking of bread from house to house, hospitality, fellowship, love, unity, singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Do you think that these people love the church? Do you think these people were on fire for God? I think they certainly were. You know, I'm going to try to touch on some of these things tonight, but I think that we've, we've kind of talked about some of it as well in the past with some of these other sermons, these good sermons that we've had. How could us as individuals improve in these areas to benefit and to make the church better and more like the first century church that was established in, our, in Acts 2? And to be honest, when I read this, I, I see the commitment from these people, and, and I'm ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of, because I know I can do more. I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing what I need to be doing in the church. I'm not uh, uh, performing the, the duties that I need to be uh, performing. You know, the first thing I thought of when reading this is how much I rely too much on self. And myself as an individual, you know, there was nothing individualistic about what they were doing here. They were doing things as one. As the body, they were relying and leaning on one another. It says they were with each other every single day. Daily with one accord in the temple. We need to strive to be like this. We need to strive to have this type of closeness as, a, as the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, verses 25 says, husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So I said earlier, it's deeper than that. It's deeper because of the price that Christ paid for the church. He gave himself for the church. And if we're to be like Christ, I think at the very least, this, this verse is at least implying that, we, uh, that that something is required of us and that we're to be like Christ in this way. We talked to, And Craig talked about that last week. We've got to be like Christ at every, every example that he gave. We need to strive to, to be like. And, you know, you say, so are, are you saying that we have to lay, that we should be willing to lay our lives down for the church? And I think absolutely, if that's what it comes to. Because the church, like we talked about, is not a construct. It's, it's, it's a, a group of the believers. It's a collection of the saints. We should be willing to die for these, for the people in the church. We need to have that type of commitment. And you know, we may not ever, it may not ever come to that in our lifetime, but we have to know that as a child of God, there will be something required of us. We have to give ourselves to the church. Christ gave his entire self, his whole self. And he died for so much more than just a construct or a social group. Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 23 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which we wrought in Christ, uh, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. And hath put, put all things under his feet, and gave him the head over all things to the church, which is the body, and listen, the fullness of him that fulfilleth all in all. People will say church really isn't all that important. But what does it say here in reference to the church? It says it's the fullness of Christ. Why would we treat the church with such a cavalier and apathetic attitude? I can't even put into words the, the gravity of that statement. It's the fullness of him that fulfilleth all in all. Uh, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, and I, I, I can't necessarily explain it. You know, if if the church is just a, a place or a social club or a place that we, we go with to our family or a place that we go to make ourselves feel better, then, then we're missing the entire point. We're missing it. And, you know, I'm not saying that our worship and what we do here isn't important. It is extremely important. But I hope we see that it's more than just being here, it's about who we are every single day. Being a part of the church means that you're a part of the kingdom of God. And that's the most important thing. That's the fulfillment that God had for his people, was to be a part of his kingdom. Matthew, oh, being a part of the Lord's church is something we are. It's it's not what we do. It's who we are every single day. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40 says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said it in the hymn, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so when I was thinking about what it really meant to love the church, this is when I really first began this lesson, this is the first passage I thought of. So, because if we're to love the church, we've got to have these two things. We've got to love God, and we've got to lo- love our brother. <clears throat> you know, we're humans, and our love for God is flawed and imperfect, but these commandments are the, really the core concept of what it means, I think, to love the church. Loving God and loving our brothers and sisters, as well as our neighbor on the street. So we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to, this is what the rest of our, pa- our sermon is going to be about tonight, is loving God and, and loving our neighbor and serving our neighbor. 1 Timothy 3, verses 15 says, But if I tarry long, thou mayest know that thou ought, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of, of the truth, of God's word. And a part of the mission of the church is to uphold that truth. As a church, we have to stand for the truth. We have to stand for God's truth, stand for his word, and not compromise it. Not ever. Second Peter 1, verses 20 through 21, knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any Private interpretation. For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but but holy men of God spoke, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible did not come from man. You know that's a real popular idea today that the Bible is just you know it's a bunch of good stories uh, about life, and we you know really you can take it or leave it though it it's not essential. It's not really inspired. But if we love the church, we're going to uphold the Bible and the gospel, and we're, we're not going to compromise it. We're not going to compromise with men when they want to add or, take, or add to or take away from the Scriptures because we know it's directly from Him. If the church really is the pillar and ground and, of the truth, and if we uphold the truth, then it's members, the body, we're going to uphold God's word. As as members, it should be our primary goal to to uphold that word. And that's the thing, is that when we get away from the truth, that's when we become divided. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and of the same judgment. And then in verse 12, what does he say? Is Christ divided? The church is the body of Christ. Yet there's 50 or 60 churches here in Plainview that all teach different things. He's asking, is Christ divided? Do you think that that's how God intended it? For, for there to be all these different churches in, in, the, in this town or in, in this country, in the state, teaching completely different doctrines. And we can go back and look at the first church in Acts 2. It said they had a reverence for God and His Word. It said with, uh, with singleness of mind, they praised Him. When we compromise a word, it destroys the unity that we that we strive for that this first that the first century church was striving for <clears throat> you know as as I was thinking about unity and and being on fire for God and, and loving God I, I thought about a story and uh, Titus can back me up on this story because he lived with me in college but uh, me and him and Seth lived in this house, and it was not by any means a fancy house, but we did have a fireplace. And uh, there were two other guys that lived with us. No, three. It was, yeah, three other guys that lived with us in that house. And being broke college students, we, we couldn't afford wood, but we, we really wanted to use this fireplace. And a while back, Seth and I had cut down an old elm tree at home. And we cut it up into pieces and brought it up to Canyon, started to get cold, so we figured we would uh, use that, make that, uh, put that wood to use. The problem was that wood did not have any bark on it, so it was just impossible to get that wood started. And we struggled and struggled to get this fire going, and uh, finally about after an hour, we, it got hot enough to where that fire took to the wood. Well, I mentioned I had, we had a couple other roommates, and one was a bit of a prankster, and he prided himself in being a Boy Scout. And we're just watching TV, we've got a fire going, and he has a fire poker, and he's messing with the logs, moving them around, and before I know it, that fire, that beautiful fire that was providing heat and light, had just gone out. And it was because that was his entire goal, was to put the fire out without water, and he was separating those logs, those pieces of wood, and pulling them away from one another. And without them all being together and burning, they couldn't create a fire. It was just a smoldering pile of of embers. It wasn't very useful to us, to say the least. And, you know, after that, it was extremely difficult to get that fire back and and glowing and, and back going. I don't think we ever did, to be honest. And so, uh, you know, while that story, you know, it might be uh, kind of silly, but when it comes to the church, when it's divided, it can't be effective. It can't be that light. It can't be the light to those who are in the dark. It can't be a warm place for the sinner that's out in the cold. And the point is, is that we've got to be unified as a church. but We've also got to be on fire. All of, our, all of the members need to be on fire for God. <clears throat> Romans 12, verses 11 says, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word fervent in strong means to be hot, to glow. So We need to be on fire for church, all the while striving to uphold God's word in unity. Revelations 3, verses 15 through 17 says, I know know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I'm sorry, I would thou wert cold nor hot, so, when, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor, nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And thou knowest thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and na- naked. You know, lukewarmness is one of the worst forms of blasphemy. It's the worst form that we can, worst way that we can blaspheme God. If we say we love God in the church and don't show it, by our actions and we just have this lukewarm attitude about the church and it's disgusting to God. You know, when we were kids we would play, we would go to whoever's house and we would play church and, you know, my my boys do the same thing. And you know, there would be someone, we'd get up on the fireplace, we'd lead songs, there'd be preaching, there'd be communion. And of course it was all pretend. It was a game. It was it was our entertainment. Basically, we were actors playing in this game, playing out something that wasn't real, really, just to entertain ourselves. Is that how we treat the Lord's church when we're here? Is it just this mundane thing that, that we do? Are we actors playing out some irreverent game? And it may be a harsh question, but if we handle God and his church with that way, with a lukewarm, irreverent attitude, then we're just actors. We're not real. And people can see if it's real. People outside can see if it's real. You know, we know if it's real. If we love the church, then we're going to be on fire for it because it's Christ's church. It belongs to Christ, and he gave himself for it. Next, I'd like to talk about our relationships and loving one another. Galatians 6, verses 10 says, If if we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. So who are we to do good to? It says all men, but who? But especially those who are in the church. Why do you, I've always wondered, why do you think he wrote it like that? I think part of the reason, anyway, is because some of the most relo- important relationships that we can have are or in the church. They're right here. I want to go back to Acts 2 and look at some of the things that they were practicing. We've already read that, but I want you all to take a look at this, at this list again. This looks like a church that cared for and loved the people in it. As I said earlier, they were spending every single It sounded like they were spending every single day with each other. It says they were going house to house and fellowshipping with each other. They were studying the Word of God in each other's homes. And those relationships that were formed were lasting, they were important to those people in that church. Are we able to say that our best friends are in the church? Ephesians 2, verses 19 says, Now therefore there you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. So if we love the church, we're going to have a deep desire to be around God's people. And not only that, but we'll desire to have meaningful relationships with those people. It says we're not strangers, but fellow citizens. And I'll admit that, to many of you, I don't, I don't know uh, probably the majority of you as well as I should. You know, I see you every week, even multiple times a week. I might even see you in the grocery store and say hi. But we all need to find a way to deepen those relationships the best that we can. Because these relationships, like I said, are important. And one more story, I promise. I think. But this was after... This is right after COVID started, and this is when we were meeting in small groups, and uh, we hadn't quite started Zoom. And I, it was probably two or three weeks that we did that, and finally they got Zoom up and running. And I remember the Saturday before that first Zoom uh, meeting, I got a call from Brent, and like I said, it was two, three weeks. It might have been even four weeks since we had gathered here, and. Really, the only reason he was calling me was to tell me how it was going to work the next morning with Zoom and all that. And before I, talk, before I hung up, I told him, I said, it's good to hear from you. It's good to talk to you. And I remember in that moment realizing how much I would taken this church family for granted. You know, Brent and I, we're not best friends or anything, but he has known me all my life, basically. He grew up with my dad. He grew up in this church. I've been to his house. He's given me admonition and sometimes correction, as well as many of you other people have. have. There's so many people here that have had such a huge impact in my life and in other people's lives. And a lot of the time, we, we take these experiences, and uh, and they seem so small and unimportant, but, you know, when, when those things are taken away from you, you realize how much you take it for granted. And I, I think I still do. Uh, I guess I haven't learned from from uh, the first time. It's about, you know, churches, it's about how we can benefit from each other, how we can lift each other up. And as I said, we can admonish one another and sometimes correct one another. 1 Thessalonians 11 verse 15 says, Therefore comfort one another and edify one another just as also as you are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love uh, for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be, and be patient with all. So just more good admonition for the church and how we are to handle these relationships inside the church. It talks about edifying in one another, and we've talked about that. It says, recognize those who labor among you. And if, if for anyone who is here for Romans 16, we read about Paul and how he recognized the people who helped him as he met with these churches. And he talked about how important they were to him and how they could be a benefit to to the other brethren. It says to esteem them very highly for their works sake. It talks about patience. And peace, how important is peace for us? You know, peace is something that doesn't necessarily happen by accident. I know it's it's it does not happen by accident in my life. It's something that I have to pursue. And God commands his people to pursue peace with one another. Because, again, it's inherent in men to have conflict with each other. He says to be patient. You know, I think patience is kind of the, the other side of the, the coin that peace is on. We've got to have both, really. Uh, you can't have one without the other in a lot of instances. You know, we're not always going to agree with one another, but there's always these overarching principles about love and these teachings that we, that we need to follow. We need to submit to one another. And that's, that's another hard concept. Ephesians 5, verses 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what does it really mean to, to submit to one another? If we look earlier on in, in Ephesians, before, before this was said, and I wish we could go and read the second half of, of Ephesians 5 and, 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 and 6, because Paul talks about the, really the relationships that we have with one another. Paul, before he, here, is admonishing them to, to, uh, to have their identity in Christ and that they should live to reflect Christ in their lives. Then he gives this commandment that we're to submit to one another. Then he he proceeds to show how it's not it's not really based on our merit or our social ranking, or the social ranking of another person, and I'm going to try to break it down uh, as much as I can. But his point is, it's not that we deserve it, or it's not that the other person deserves it, but we're to submit to that person because of our fear of, uh, of God. <laughs> And Christ is the greatest example in submitting to one another. He lowered himself and became a man to die like a common criminal. He became the lowest of the low. And in that same way, because of what Christ did for us, we should value one another. We should submit to one another. Philippians 2, verses 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than himself. We have to have a view that my brother is better than me. We have to lower ourselves like Christ did. And that idea of submitting is one of the most important principles, really, when it comes to our relationships in the church. And and this is where we see, after this passage, where Paul goes on to give instructions for various roles talks about, in verse 22, about how wives are to submit to their husbands. But then, on the other side, he says, husbands, love your wives. And so, husbands are to love their wives, and they're to submit to their wives, submit to God, and submit to their wives in having love for them. Uh, it goes on to talk about uh, the, the, chil- the child or the father and son dynamic. It says, children, obey your parents. So children are to submit to their parents by obeying them. But on the flip side, it says husbands, or I'm sorry, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of God. There's two sides of it. And so we're really to submit to our children or to submit to God by obeying, and by obeying his word, and in that way we submit to our child. Then he goes on to talk about the relationship between the slave and, and the master. Let me find my place here. <clears throat> Paul addresses slaves and masters. He says that slaves, you should align yourselves under the masters under the masters, but then he goes on to say, he says, masters submit to the slaves by treating these slaves the way the way you, a Christian should, basically. And I, like I said, we don't have the time, but I would encourage everyone to go back and read that. And I think Paul's point here is that no person is more important than the other. And it doesn't matter, the social status doesn't matter. We're all important to Christ. And in our Romans 16 chapter study, like I talked about, Titus brought out something that I think is really important. Paul in that chapter, he was calling these people by name. And it reminds me of this, the verse we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 earlier, where it says, we need to recognize those who labor among us. He was giving recognition to these people, and, and these people had been like family to him. And, but Titus mentioned how many women he, Paul, talked about in that chapter. And it made me realize that Paul, he didn't necessarily identify them as women. He didn't identify anybody that he talked about based off their social status or gender necessarily. Yes, he used pronouns, but we, we were able really to figure that out by context. And I think the reason that he didn't do that was because it didn't matter. Like I said earlier, we're all equals in Christ. We're all equals in the church. All of these people were important to Paul and to the church, and they had a great role at keeping this, the new first century church alive. You know, sometimes, whether it's because of social pressures or not, we tend to get wrapped up in who our identity is outside of God, outside of how God identified us. How how does God identify us? He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. So the church is the chi- or are the children of God. Yes, God has given us certain roles in the church based on who we are and, and maybe uh, what, what our gender is. Or, but we're all important to the church. In Ephesians Paul lays out the different Christian responsibilities or the different responsibilities we have based on where we are in life and based on who we are, based on our place in society. But I want everyone to realize that what's done here on, in the church building, what's done here on the stage is a, but a very, is very small importance compared to everything else that the church is doing. You know, my, whatever job that it, or duty that has been placed with me or when I'm up here or as a father, as a husband, is just as important as my wife's duty as a sister in Christ to each and every one of you as a mother and as a wife. But you know, it's difficult to submit because of our pride. You know, my pride stands in the way of me being gracious and viewing others as better than me or lowering myself. And uh, as a personal example, I had a fairly challenging week at work, and there were multiple times I'd be on the phone with Helen Ann, and she. And one time she said, maybe we just need to extend this olive branch. And I said, I'm out of olive branches this week. I'm out of them. And, of course, that was my pride talking, but that goes back too, to... I mean, it, it's a blessing to be able to work with, with somebody who is in the church and who can hold me accountable and can help me and can call me out when I have a bad attitude. You know, another, another difficulty in submitting to our brothers is it's because we, when we do that, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. You know, it's not an easy thing to do to let the walls down. But if we're not going to let our walls down with the people of God, then who, who do we have? Who do we have to talk to? And we can go back to us having these different roles and responsibilities. The role between the son and the father. When we both submit to God, when two parties both submit to God and both consider themselves to be lesser or in the other to be greater, then we fulfill something and fulfill God's purpose. Just as the Father and the Son are fulfilling a purpose and giving each other what they need by submitting to my brother, I can give him what he needs and he can give me what I need. And it's the same and I believe that he's drawing out a, a parallel, or we can see a parallel there in, in the benefits, that, the mutual benefit that we can get from one another and by submitting to one another and humbling ourselves to one another. Because pride is left out of it. Lastly, I'd like to talk about uh, servitude, our service to God and in the church. Mark 10, verses 38 through 46 We'll just read that last uh, verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, this falls right in line with with what we talk about. We are equals with Christ. Earlier in the verse, it talks about Christ lowering himself. He came to serve. He became the lowest of the low, right? He he lowered himself below sinful man, below our sins, because he loves us. Because he loves the church. And, you know, Christ is calling us to do the same. Hope we never feel like we're above serving someone who, who is less uh, uh, less blessed than us. You know, we have a very Im- important treasure in Christ. And we've got to share it with, with everybody that we can. We've got, a, we've got a beautiful thing here, and we, why, shouldn't we, why should we keep that from other people? We need to know the difference, and I think there is a difference between giving of ourself and giving our entire self to the church. You know, I can give my time, I can give my money, maybe I can give some advice to somebody or some admonition, but a lot of the time, how much did that really cost me? Truth is, is it's it not much, and I can go on about my day, and, it, and it's you know it's not really a big deal, and even I might even get a pat on the back or a good job, and uh, but again, it doesn't really cost me anything. If I don't have a pure love, then it means nothing. First Corinthians three verses one through four says, "Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I should remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods and feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, I think that this verse is pretty well explanatory. We can do all of these things in the name of Christ, but if we don't have love, it's, it's useless. And I, I want to go back to what, what I talked about, the difference between just giving of ourself and giving our whole self to the church. If I strive to really give myself, like Christ did to the church, then I'm going to start to identify myself with the church, this church that my Savior gave his life for. And that means that I'll start to identify myself with each of you, with the members of the church. I'll start giving attention to your name and your reputation because I view them as my own reputation. We are all the church, right? Any glory that I might have becomes yours. Any glory that you may have is the, is the glory that I enjoy because of the love that I have for you and that I have for the church. This is how we should love one another within the church, because this is how Christ loved. Again, we don't just embrace one another but we rest the weight of our identities upon one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice, right? We weep with those who weep. I consider you better than me because of what Christ has done for me. Because he did the same for me. I love you because you belong to Jesus. And we've talked, we've read... A lot of these scriptures that were written specifically by paul and we talked about it in roman in the romans 16 chapter 2 but it's very evident paul's love for the church is very evident in his writings he says therefore my beloved and long for brethren my joy and my crown so stand fast in the lord beloved we can, like I said, we can just see the, the outpouring of love that Paul had for these churches that he was writing to and that he visited. And you know, the church was not immune to problems. Not, uh, there were, a lot of these churches had quite a bit of problems and it was Paul's main goal was to get these, get these guys straightened out. And no doubt it was frustrating at times for Paul. But when he wrote to him, he wrote about the love and affection that he he had. A, he gave his entire self to these churches, he and he eventually died for that cause. You know, in all in churches today, there's immature Christians, there's mature Christians. Died for, uh, Christ died for every single one of them. There's people who are difficult sometimes that are difficult to get along with. Them Christ died for them and I hope that we can say about the church that it's our joy and our crown and that we truly identify with this church and with the Lord's church because he gave his entire he gave his life for it he gave his whole self for it that is all I have prepared this evening if there's one who needs the prayers of the church we would uh, ask you to come. There are people that can help and that can pray for you. If there's one that has been taught and wishes to become a part of the Church of God tonight. Wishes to become a part of the Kingdom of God. We ask that one of either class come as we stand and sing the song of the invitation.